Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. Take this opportunity to say happy Thanksgiving to you and your home, uh, from our home and your home. And uh, we are excited what God is going to continue to do in your life as he is doing in our lives. So happy Thanksgiving. So you have your Bibles? You're at Luke chapter 15. Let's go there. We've been there for two weeks now. And uh, and for those who have been with us, I hope that you're not bored with the story because we're going to read it again. Um, I hope that you are coming back each week excited about what God has from a different perspective. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read from verses 11 through 32. And uh, we're going to talk about this story um, that Jesus shares uh, with his disciples along with Pharisees and everyone that was in that multitude that day. And I want to share it with you. Verse 11 says this. And he said, Jesus said, there was a, a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, between both sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one, not anyone, not even the best friends, not even the people that encouraged him to go to the far country, gave him anything. Verse 17. Isn't it crazy that those who you think are your best friends, but when bad times come, they're never there? Man, this happens sometimes. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best row and put it on him and put a ring on his on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now that his older son was in the field, and he, and as he came near, drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the, one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, he said, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him or pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, these many years, listen to his, the son's statement. 
These many years I have served you, and I have never obeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And verse 30 says, but when this son of yours, when this son, not my brother, but this son, when your son, when he came home, you, and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. For him. Really? Verse 31 says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for a beautiful story. In the last two weeks, Father, we have dived in. We looked at it from the son's perspective. We looked at it from your perspective or the father's perspective in the story. But today, Father, as we dive into this, I pray that you help me um, to be creative with the narrative. But, Father, to, to speak your word powerful into their lives, Father. Let them hear your word and not mine. God, let them be... Let them be um, sensitive to your spirit that is drawing them back home today. God, I love you, and I pray, Lord, that none of us in this room would ever be like this older brother. God, help us. God, protect our hearts, protect our minds. God, protect us from this. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Before we jump right into the message today, let us recap just a little bit. I like doing this, and sometimes it jars something in your mind. You're like, aha, I remember that. That was pretty cool. I remember that. It was great. Um, so here we go. So part one, for those who were here, those who was not, we talked about the story from the son's perspective. And when you read the story, when I read it with you, it, it just jumped off the page. You saw the son's perspective. You saw the father's perspective. And you also saw perhaps the brother's perspective and how they would tell it. And so from the son's perspective, I thought we were a little creative in, in the narrative and be able to say this, four things. And we, we said that the, if the son could tell you how his experience was, he would say this, the journey into the far country did not go as I had planned. And I think that he would have said that to us. Hey, listen, I know, I know how you read the story. You read the story that I went out there and I just spent it on reckless living, prostitutes and everything and wasted my money. But really, I had some big plans. But when I got out there and the further that I got away from my father, I just made some silly mistakes. And man, I just... It didn't plan, go out the way I planned. The second thing that we talked about from his perspective was that the first step coming home, admitting that he is wrong, admitting that there was going to be consequences for his actions, that first step of his journey home was the hardest he ever took. And I think all of us would admit today, admitting that we're wrong, admitting or facing the consequences of our actions is difficult to take. And the brother said, that was hard. The third thing that he would say to us, or perhaps from his perspective, is that the thought of facing my dad, I mean, just seeing his face, it was terrifying. I didn't know how he was going to respond. But when I saw him, everything changed because my father was looking for me. In verse 4, I mean, the fourth thing that we talked about was that the journey home was worth it. Everything changed when I got home. God replaced, my father replaced everything when I was there. It was worth the journey home. And today I challenge you to take that journey. Last week we talked about the father's perspective and what a unique perspective. And, and sometimes um, for, as parents, we can see it. We, as parents, as fathers and mothers, we can see how this father would react. Because some of us today, uh, and God forbid for you younger moms and dads who your children haven't left yet. They're still 13. They're still 14. They're still young. They're, they're not even at the age of 18 of leaving home or perhaps making some choices in their life that would break your heart. But some of us in this room, we've experienced that heartbreaking um, feeling when our son or our daughter 
um, did some things that we wasn't pleased with, or they went and left home. And so we could put ourselves in, in those shoes of that father. And, and so from the father's perspective, we said four things too. And, and it was this, the moment that my son left, my heart broke. And I believe the father would say that today. The moment that you couldn't trust me, my heart broke. The moment that you walked away from me, my heart broke. The moment that you couldn't trust me with your life, it, my heart broke because I have so much for you. The second thing that we talked about is that every day that this son was gone, was a day that the father was filled with expectation for his son's return. We were very creative in this because we said that every day he would go out, either he was reading his newspaper or working the plow in the field, that the father would always look over his shoulder looking for his son. Why? Because he expected his son to come home that day. And the father was just filled with expectation every day. Not just Monday, not just Wednesday, but every day the father was like, my son could make it home today. My son could return home. And that was from the father's perspective. The third thing from the father's perspective was that he looked at his son as though his son was always his son. It didn't change. <laughs> I mean, his son was always his son. And his father looked at it that way. And the fourth thing that we said from the father's perspective was this, that everything had to stop when his son returned home. I mean, the field could take care of itself. The laundry, I know I was in the midst of folding the laundry, and the laundry I haven't done in three days, but it's going to stop. It's going to be a fourth day because my son has returned. And I told you that I can't tell you how many times that when my kids come home from college, everything kind of stops because we haven't seen them in a long time. And I'm like, hey, I, I need to mow the yard. I'm not going to mow the yard. My kids are home. Um, and, uh, and so um, I understand that from a father's perspective that everything stops when his son came home. And today we're going to talk it from the brother's perspective. Now, and I want you to hear me out this morning. I, I have to say that from this perspective was the most difficult to be creative with. Um, and, and with maybe because I didn't want to admit that some, someone, myself included, could actually have these feelings towards someone who comes home. So let, let, me, let me make sure I'm very clear. It was hard for me to look at it from this, per, this brother's perspective because I don't think I've ever, ever viewed it from that perspective. I don't think I've ever had this resentment towards someone so bad, so much, that I could not rejoice if they came to Jesus. I, I don't know how to relate to this brother, to be honest with you. I've never been so mad at somebody or hated somebody or angry at somebody so much that I couldn't rejoice if they came and experienced salvation. And for whatever reason, this brother was filled with anger. And so it was hard for me. It really was hard for me to come from that perspective because I don't know if I could relate to that. And someone who, I, I don't understand that someone who would repent and someone who would accept Christ as their personal Savior, how can you not rejoice with that? How can you not be glad? How can you not be excited for that? And I've always said this, and, and I mean this, and, and from this day forward, I, I want to say this to you, make a public announcement, that I always want to approach ministry like Jesus. And you're like, well, obvious, you want to be like Jesus. We all do. I get it. But I want to approach ministry like Jesus. Meaning this, in John 3.16, all of us in this room perhaps can quote it. It is the greatest quoted scripture, right? We learned that in Sunday school. Um, our mom and dad taught it. Even if your mom and dad didn't go to church, they taught you this verse because it was taught to them. In John 3.16, just simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But see, I love it that God so loved the world. But this, this verse 
17 that really gets me. Because I think that in verse 16, we find that Jesus comes to the world with a purpose that through him we might be saved. But in verse 17 gives us the perspective of ministry that Jesus had while he was here. And this is what I want to have. And this is what I hope that you will have as well. Because I think that the brother in this story did not have this perspective. And this is the perspective. You see, verse 17 says this, and this is the mindset that you and I all should have. And that is that for God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, that, that the world might be saved through him. So l- let me just put it in this perspective because you may know this story, may not. So I'm not going to assume that you do know the story. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus being a Pharisee. Nicodemus, who is curious about Jesus. Remember, these Pharisees loved God, but they just didn't understand Jesus or could accept Jesus. They just couldn't understand, loved God. They thought that what they were doing was honoring God but they couldn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so what was happening was that was Nicodemus was curious about Jesus, so he went to him by night to ask him some questions. Hey, how do we inherit the kingdom of heaven? It was so crazy that all of a sudden that Jesus has this personal conversation with Nicodemus. He was like, hey, listen, my father loved you so much that he sent me <laughs> to die on the cross for you. That's how the conversation went. I know it's not how we read it, but that's how it went. He was like, hey, my my father loved you. So he sent me. And then he said, listen, I didn't come here to condemn you, Nicodemus. But I came that through me, you might be saved. And I got to tell you, my perspective of ministry has always been, I didn't come here to condemn you. I came here that through my life, you might be saved. Because Jesus lives inside of me, and I hope that you see that, and I hope that you can feel that, and I hope that I can lead you into a committed relationship with Jesus where you're passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. And that's the mindset that we all should have, is to be able to say, listen, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not judging your past. What I do know is that you need Jesus, and I need Jesus, and so let's go find Jesus together. And let's live for Jesus together. And, and that's where, that's the approach that we should take. So let's look. Um, let's look at the other brother's perspective. I, I told you it was hard for me, so let's see what I could do um, to pour this out um, to you today. Number one, this is from the brother's perspective. Remember, we talked about the son's perspective. We talked about the father, but let's talk about the brother. The brother who did not want to go into the party. The brother who was like, my brother's home? <laughs> we kill the fatted calf? That brother's perspective. Here's the first one. I think the brother would tell you, I never expected him to come home. (laughs) That day that my brother came and asked my father for everything that was going to be due to him, that it was owed to him, I never thought he would come back home. When he left and I got word that he was out there in that far country and plans didn't go the way he expected it and he lived like he wanted to live and he was doing the things he was doing that was was really putting a a bad mark on our family, made my mom and dad look horrible, I never thought he would come back. I never thought he would ever grace our door again. I think that's perhaps what he would say. I would say, granted that my father spent every minute looking for my brother's return. I didn't care if he came or not. I think the brother would say, listen, my dad expected him, but I didn't expect him. My dad fattened up a calf, but I was like, he's never going to make it. Why are you so worried? Why do you sit toward that? Every day you drink your coffee. Every day you look toward that far country. Every day you're looking over your shoulder where you're out in the field. I don't understand, Dad. He's never coming back. And he never expected his brother to come home. I don't think he was concerned at all. 
I don't think that this brother, I think he would tell you, I, was, listen, I, didn't, I wasn't concerned about his life. I don't concern what he was doing. I, it didn't bother me. I was minding my own business. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I thought this to myself. I mean, how could you? You knew it was going to break your father's heart. I mean, the brother could say, listen, I knew. Why. How could you, my brother? How could you go and ask for everything? You knew it was going to break our father's heart. Maybe you felt what, whatever happens, happens. You know, Maybe the, the older brother was like, hey, you know, whatever happens, happens. I mean, my dad used to say it like this to me. Son, you made your bed. You have to lie in it. Absolutely. Maybe that's the way you felt. He was like, hey, man, he made his bed. He's going to lie in it. And I don't care if he comes back home or not. I, I, I really don't care. You see, loving his brother became difficult, maybe to the point that he didn't even care if his life changed, um, that his life changed or not, um, or if he was alive or dead, or if he was lost or found. And you say, well, pastor, you're being pretty creative about that. How can you just really, you're knocking this guy, you're, you're dogging him, you're really being hard on him. Well, you know what? I am, because he, he wasn't even willing to go to the party I mean, the guy didn't care. His dad was like, don't you understand? It is fitting to celebrate because your brother was dead when he was alive. Now, was he really physically dead? No, he was spiritually dead. He was like, man, he's, he's been gone so long. He's been separated from me. He's spiritually dead. He's lost. And, but now he's found. He's alive. We should celebrate. And his brother was like, you know what? I, I really don't care. And, and I, if you and I are not careful, you and I will become like that older brother. So let me warn you this morning. If we're not careful, we will become so righteous and so stuck up that we don't care if our brother comes home or not. That we're not worried about someone else's salvation, someone else's husband, someone else's wife, someone else's child, to the point that we're like, you know what? I don't know if I don't care if they're alive or dead. I don't care if they're lost or they're found. Let us never ever get to the point that we don't care about the lost in our community as a church. Let us never get to a point as a pastor, as leaders, as church, that we don't wake up every morning going, God, lay someone on my heart today who is lost that I can pray for. God, put someone in my path that I will cross every day so I can share your love, that my life will be a light to them in their darkest time of their life. God, help me, help me to help them, Father. And I pray that we never forget the Father's business. Sometimes I think that we get so caught up in the Father's business that we forget the Father's business. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't make sense. How could you get caught up in the Father's business and forget the Father's business? Um, well, let me just tell you this way. I remember a time when I was uh, a youth pastor, and, and, and listen, everything that I did was because of the ministry. Um, I'm going to hang out with the boys today because it's ministry. No, you're just going to go hang out with the boys because it's fun. It's not because it's the ministry. But I got caught up in doing ministry that I would let my family take the back seat and everything. And I got caught up. I really did. I got caught up in the ministry doing my father's business that I actually forgot what the father's business was about. One of it was taking care of my family. My family's important, and I will tell you this, and as we get further into these, these messages and series, you'll get to know a little bit. I, first of all, I encourage you to come back Sunday. Don't let this be the last one. You've got to come back, because next week we're going to talk about the structure of our church and what it looks like and all those things, because 
um, we are journeying home. And, and, and some of you are like, I, I've been coming for three weeks. I don't know if we're, what denomination we are. Are we denomination? What do we do? What do we believe? Come, don't stop. You just come and worship Jesus. That's what we're about. And we want you to do that. But I remember a time, I remember coming home and, and my wife and I had a Jesus come to Jesus meeting. Because I got caught up in doing the Father's business that I forgot the Father's business. What it means. And sometimes you and I, we can just get so caught up in living a life, doing following all the rules, crossing your T's, dotting your I's, going to church and reading your Bible and praying that we forget what it's really about. We get so consumed about ourselves that we forget that it's about the lost that's out there. You know how, we, how I know that churches have lost their way? They get so busy, caught up in the Father's business, they forgot the Father's business? That the church, they're more worried about the church itself than they are about the people outside of the walls. <laughs> I was told one time that I worried about people outside the walls than I did about the people inside. Well, I apologize if I get that way. But I got to tell you, my heart hurts for those outside these walls. My heart hurts for your family who doesn't know Jesus at all. My heart hurts, and we will, I promise you, we will do everything that we can to reach the lost. Because inside the four walls, you guys, listen, we're going to challenge you, and we're going to lead you into a committed relationship with Jesus Christ where you're passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. But those guys out there, they need to be led in here. Amen? Yeah, hey, thank you for the amen. I don't usually need amens, but that was a good point to say an amen. First John, I want you to look at this. First John chapter 4, verses 7 and 12 says this. And, and listen, I, I don't understand this, brother, but we can get to this. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is his love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, that, that, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He said, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In the New King James Version or the King James Version, it says, how can you love your brother who you do see and your God who you do not see? I mean, we haven't seen God, but we have love for him. How can we not, our heart not hurt for our brother who we do know? And so I, I believe that the brother would tell you, if, I didn't expect him to come home at all. Actually, I, I kind of lost my love for my brother. Um, and I challenge you and I today to continue to love because God loved us so much and we want them to experience that love. Here's the second thing that I, I felt from the, from the brother's perspective. I thought that the celebration, I thought the brother would say this to you and I, the celebration was a little premature. Think about this for a moment. The brother was like, hey, uh, what's all that commotion? What's going on out there? He asked the servants. He's like, hey, guys, there's noise. There's dancing. There's everything going on. What's happening? He's like, hey, your brother came home, man. Your dad killed. He killed a fatted calf. There's a party. They're dancing. There's music. He got a robe. He got a ring. Did you know that your father restored everything back to your brother? It's like, what? You mean he's got a part of the inheritance again? Yes, he did. He's like, oh, that doesn't settle well with me. I'm a little mad. I'm angry, the Bible says. And then he's like, I'm not, I'm absolutely not going in there. But I think the brother would say, I think it's a little premature to throw a party because what if he leaves again? I mean, we don't know what tomorrow looks like. 
Well, I mean, what happens a, a week from today? What happens a month from today? What happens a year from today? What happens two years from today when my brother decides, you know what, I want everything that's mine again, and I'm out of here. And the brother was like, I know my brother. He'll just do it again. He'll just get up and leave, grab his stuff and go. I think celebrating was a little premature. And I got to tell you, around here, we want to celebrate, premature or not, because I understand I believe that God changes people, and I don't care what you think about them. I don't, I don't care about what their habits used to be like. You know, like they would commit to something and then decommit so quickly as, as quick as they committed. Hey, listen, I'm believing that God's going to change your heart and our heart so quickly that we will find ourselves so committed and so in love with God that we just don't turn back. We do keep following and staying in love with him. I believe that. And you know what? If you do, if you do walk away, I'm still going to expect you to return every day. I'm going to be like that father going, hey, she's coming back. I know she is. Can't wait for her to come through the doors. You know what? And I'm going to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus and say there's no condemnation here. I'm here. I don't care how many times you go and you come back. The doors will always be open. I want to be like that. I want to be. I don't want to be the brother that said, hey, you came and you're going to leave again. Don't you ever come here again. I mean, don't let, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. That's what my dad would have said, all right? I mean, hey, you know, um, that probably wasn't proper. Anyway, so <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe just this morning, uh, the brother thought to himself that when, the bro- when my brother gets back on his feet, he would just be, he'd just leave. He'd just leave. I, um, I had the opportunity, probably the greatest privilege that I've really had in life, and, and, and it was to travel the state of Oklahoma to be uh, the district youth, pa- youth director for the Pentecostal Church of God. Great time. Um, six, five, five, six years of our life that was just lots of fun. Met a lot of great kids. That's where actually uh, James Dye and I connected, was on the road at, um, during that time. Uh, uh, Casey drove me around many, many miles um, uh, through that time. I, I met Jacob. Uh, Jacob's back there, and I met Jacob um, on the road during that time of my life. I just had um, just a great time. And I remember going to Clinton one time, and, and uh, my wife and I had to, we wanted to fill in for our pastors, Pastor Gary um, Jones and his lovely wife, Elizabeth. Um, they were going on a mission trip to Belize, and so they needed us to fill in on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And we were like, hey, we'll do it. We love to preach. So we drove all the way up there. And, and I had already been there. I had been there on Tuesday, I think it was, or a Monday uh, for a youth rally. And I met this guy by the name of Martin. All right, Martin uh, was a Hispanic guy. Oh, he was just a, a great, friendly guy. And we were talking, and he's like, hey. He said, uh, I've always, wanted, always felt like I, I was called to be a youth pastor. And I was like, really? I said, man, I want to talk to you because I love youth pastors. Um, they are some of my favorite guys. And so um, I'm going to be here Sunday. Let's, let's like um, block off some time so we could talk. I would love to talk to you about youth ministry. He's like, let's do it. So I showed up on Sunday morning. And my hair, my hair is getting a little bit long. I need a haircut right now. And so, uh, but it was longer than this um, because I hadn't been to uh, see the lady that cut my hair. And so... That morning after I had preached, Martin comes up to me and he says, Hey, Pastor, you need a haircut. Your hair long. I don't know if that's Hispanic or not. But anyway, so he's like, Your hair's long. We need, I'm a barber. I can cut your hair. And I was like, All right. He said, I'm going to go eat lunch and I'll come back. So he goes, <laughs> So he said, I will come back and we'll, we'll cut your hair. So we set up a time. I went to cut his hair. He went to cut my hair. And we met at his barber shop. We're sitting down. He's cutting my hair. He doesn't, he doesn't even ask me how I like my hair. Uh, not at all. All I heard was a bzzz. 
and he just starts to give me the best looking Hispanic haircut, nice and tight. I mean, it was great. And uh, he cuts my top, everything. And I've never been, I don't know if there's some guys in here that's been straight razored. I've never been straight razored in my life. Um, but I remember this very clearly. He starts putting this war, uh, warm cream stuff, I guess, um, on, my, on my neck and around my face. And, and he clicks open this big straight razor. Uh, and right when he begins to put, put, I mean, he just begins to apply it to my neck. Just, just right there, he goes, Pastor Jerry, do you mind if I tell you my life story? I said, no, not at all. He goes, I was in prison for five years. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, no, look, hold up. He's got the straight razor to my neck. And he's like... I was in prison for five years. I don't know about you, but at that moment, I was like, for killing a guy with a straight razor. <laughs> That's the reason why he was in prison. And I was like, oh, Martin, uh, why was you in prison? <laughs> and he was like, for drugs, for gang-related issues and stuff. And we started talking, and he said, but Pastor Jerry, I found Jesus in prison. And I remember in that moment being very bold and brave, and I Martin had walked in front of me. I said, but Martin, can I just be honest with you? Doesn't everybody find Jesus in the prison? And he looked at me and he said, yes, they do. But I took Jesus out of prison with me. Oh, you're talking about powerful. I started crying because what I meant by that is most of us in our hard times in our life, we want to cry out to something that's higher power than us. We will. Life is difficult. Life is hard. COVID-19 about kicked our rears. And so we're going to call, call out to somebody. And so these people say that God is real. So I'll just cry out to God. God, are you there? Can you hear me? God, get me out of this mess. And when God gets me out of the mess, and all of a sudden, we forget who got us out of that mess. And so I was like, Martin, doesn't, doesn't everybody find Jesus in prison? And he said, oh, powerful words. I can hear him say it today. I won't do the accent again because I think I was being offensive. <laughs> but he was like, Pastor, he said, but I took Jesus out of prison with me. And so today, listen, I know that the celebration might have been premature, but there are some, there are some of those real, genuine repentance and salvation that said, man, I found Jesus in my toughest time in my life, but I didn't just find him in that pit and left him there, but man, I took him out of the pit with me, and he changed my life forever. So let's party. <laughs> let's celebrate, because we're going to celebrate every day, because I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but I was found. And it was that moment, I'm going to celebrate every day, because I know how Monday was for me. I know what Tuesday looked like. I know what it looked like to look through the lens of depression. I know. But today, I celebrate because I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Here's the third thing this morning. The third thing is this, and maybe from the brother's perspective, he would say this. I didn't understand why his sin was celebrated and my righteousness was overlooked. Did you ever feel that way? Let's talk to some of the church people in here. If you ever felt like, oh, everybody's, all, my brother came home and he lived a life of hell and he shows up and everybody's celebrating, but here I am. I've been in church all my life. I've done good. I've made good choices. Um, and you're celebrating over his sin and my righteousness has been overlooked. I think the brother felt that way. You're like, Pastor, I don't get that. Well, let's look at verses 28 through 31. You see the brother, um, the servant, he's like, hey, um, What's going on? And it was like, hey, there's a party inside because your brother. And he said, but he refused. Uh, he was angry and refused to go in. But his father came looking for him. <laughs> his father came outside and he 
entreated or he pleaded with him to come in. Verse 29 says, but he answered his father and said, look, these many years, I don't know how many years it was. There was these many years. I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. I mean, you didn't give me a, a calf. You, you, did, you, you gave a calf to my brother, but you didn't even give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? Really? He deserved a fattened calf? And he said to him, your son, son, you always, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. I believe that the son would say, I don't, I don't understand why it feels like in this moment his sin is being celebrated and my righteousness is being overlooked. I would say, can I just be a little bit more creative? I would say that looking at this older brother, that the older brother relationship with his father probably wasn't as strong as he thought it was. I would say that perhaps his brother was more into this relationship with his father for about all that he could get than all that he could give to his father. I thought it was about a um, you give and relationship kind of deal. You know, what can I get out of this relationship? And I think that's what the brother fell into, is that I'm doing good so I could get. I, I'm going to stay faithful so I can get. And I think if we're not careful, we become that way. Oh, church is just a routine. I get up every morning, I go to church on Sunday, um, because if I don't, um, well, God's not going to take care of me. And it's this, I'm going to give so I can get kind of feeling. And I got to tell you, I'll never forget. Um, um, I know people who only give their tithes because they, they, want, to, they want that blessing. And it's like, you're serving God with your tithes only because you get something out of it? I mean, the son was like, did you hear what he said? He was like, listen, I mean, you're, my brother went and did all those things. He came back and got everything. And you, I mean, look at me. I've been faithful to you. And you don't even kill a young goat for me. He's saying, I've been overlooked. Now listen, I'm going to say something, and I think that our world has done this as well, and, and I don't want anybody to, um, uh, to be mad at me because that's not my heart. I, I'm not here uh, to say things that would hurt because that's not who I am. But I think that our world does the same thing. I think that our society um, pats, um, glorifies sin and um, overlooks righteousness, good behavior. For instance, um, I, I know that there are people today, and, and I understand the reason, um, young girls who perhaps become um, pregnant in high school and um, um, could have a help going to college. I get it. I understand that. But then you have a good girl who's made good decisions as well. And I'm not saying the girl who is pregnant is not a good girl. Uh, but a girl who did, does not become pregnant, um, she doesn't get help. And there's all these different sides of the stories in that in our society where all of a sudden you get someone who perhaps are making good choices. They don't get rewarded. But it seems like all the help perhaps may be out there for those who, who may are not making the wisest decisions. And then when we feel that way, the brother's like, hey, why is that? Why is that? And I think that if we're not so caught up in our own self-righteousness, we say, oh, well, the first reason why we're doing that is we're, we're trying to help this young girl. Get on her feet. That's what we're doing. We're not trying to pat anybody on the back for maybe bad decisions. We're, we're trying to help her on her feet. But if, we, if we're not careful, we'll get this, oh, righteous 
feeling about ourselves and perspective. The brother was like, I've been here. I've obeyed God. I've done everything and, and I get nothing. Why is that? He said, why is it that he can have the inheritance once again? The brother's perspective was like, I don't get it. Why does he now get to be a part of the inheritance again? He's got a ring. Remember what the ring uh, represented last week? We talked about it represented not only um, authority. It represented inheritance. It represented uh, um, power in the family again. And so here he is being restored of everything. It doesn't seem fear. Why is it that it seems that my father loves the sinner more than me? And, and if you're not careful, that's the perspective that this brother is having. Why is my father loving the sinner more than he's loving me? I haven't gone anywhere. And we could get there too where we can think that the church should be all about me, the good one, the one who stayed home, the one who follows the rules. Why would we spend more effort and more money or more time on reaching the lost instead of loving on me? Why don't you love on me? Do something for me. I mean, why are we taking all the efforts to go out? And I believe that the brother would say to me, I just didn't understand. You know why the father did that? Because he was dead and now he's alive. You know why the father was able to say your inheritance has been given back to you? You know why? Because he was lost and now he's found. That's the reason. But the older brother couldn't understand it. He didn't understand it. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had young ministers that would come to me and, and say, Pastor, I don't have a good testimony. I'm like, what's a good testimony? You know, like the guy that says, I was uh, a drug addict for 25 years and went to prison and got saved and now I'm called into the ministry. I don't have any testimony like that. That's why you don't have to have a testimony like that. And he's like, well, I mean, everybody has that. Good preachers have those testimonies. I'm like, I don't have that testimony. I got saved when I was 16 and I got to tell you that God saved me from being an alcoholic. God saved me from being a drug addict. God saved me from going to prison because I got some family in prison. <laughs> All right. I, I, listen, I don't have a story that can relate to some of you, but I do have a story that can relate to some of you. I don't have to have this big past of sinful life, perhaps, um, to relate. And this young minister, they feel like they have to have that. Here's the fourth thing this morning. And the brother's perspective he said i could bring i could not bring myself to celebrate verse 28 said but he was angry and refused to go in his father came and he pleaded with him now the bible doesn't the story doesn't tell us if the son ever goes in or not being creative i would say he did not go in i did i don't think the brother ever could make himself go and celebrate with his brother and that's a sad sad moment when you can't celebrate others return home. When you can't celebrate one of the happiest moments in their life. Because again, remember, remember this. The son who left home, the way his life turned out, he, I don't think he planned it that way. Now the, the older brother thinks so. He's like, oh, he planned to do that. He wanted to take his money and go live the way he wanted to live and find all those prostitutes and live in the pig. Oh, that's exactly what he wanted to do. No, he did not. Don't believe that. And some of you today, maybe you have walked away from the Father. and Maybe you have made some decisions. I don't think that was your plan. I, I, don't, I don't think that you just thought, man, I, I don't care. And there are, I've met some people that said, I'll do whatever I want to do if it hair lips to governor, you know, kind of deal. I've met people like that, but down deep, I don't think they really mean that. I met some of the toughest guys along my life that, uh, they acted really tough, but down deep, they were the softest little teddy bear you ever met. And I believe that's the way it is. 
I could not, this son was like, I could not bring myself to celebrate with my brother. And we tend not to celebrate one who returns home because we feel that they, did, they don't deserve it. You see, the brother didn't think that his brother reserved. The older brother didn't. He's like, he didn't deserve celebration. He wasted his dad's money. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated. You remember Jonah? As you guys are like, I remember Jonah. Jonah was swallowed up by a well, but he had the same moment that he could not celebrate. See, Jonah was, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, you know, a wicked country. And he was like, I want you to go to the city. And he said, I want you to go to the city. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to go preach repentance. And so he does. He goes, well, you know, he's like, I don't want to go. So he gets on a boat, goes to Tarsha, opposite of Nineveh. Um, finally, God gets his attention. He's thrown off the boat. He's swallowed up by a whale. He says, God, get me out of the whale. So God spits him out on the shore on dry land. He goes and preach repentance. And then after the city repents and comes to God, Jonah finds himself going, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe, God, you should destroy the city. That's what you said. I can't believe. And he could not celebrate the good that came out of it. Let us not be that way. Let us not be able to, not to be able, let us celebrate. Let me go that way. Let us celebrate when our brothers and our sisters come home. Let us be able to celebrate no matter what has happened you see, in Luke chapter 5, I'm going to conclude this with um, this morning, Pastor Kelly. In Luke chapter 15, in the story that we find today, um, in Luke chapter 15, we find these three stories. We find the three stories, the, remember the, um, uh, the, 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 the sheep, the, the one that went lost, the 99, and, and the 100 sheep, 99 stayed, and God stayed with 99, and... Uh, and one, he went looking for the one, the, the woman that had 10 coins, and one got lost, and she looked everywhere. And, and um, we said that all three of these stories in chapter 15 all had the same theme, and that was that God places value on the soul of man so much that he would, that if you, you and I were the only one, he would still have sent his son to die for you. And we said that the theme carries this underlying uh, meaning, and it was the fact that the urgency of finding that which is lost so much that you would stop everything to search after the one that's lost. But the reason why these, th these three stories are told, <laughs> the reason why for the prodigal son is probably not for what we think it was for. And the reason why I say that is this, because if we don't realize, if we're not a, a follower of God's word or a reader of God's word, then we miss this whole story. We miss the setup. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus, all of a sudden, that people were the religious leaders. They were questioning Jesus, Jesus' intentional relationship with sinners. I want you to hear that again. All these religious leaders, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, the ones that loved God, but they couldn't accept Jesus. They were questioning Jesus' intentional, I use that word intentionally, <laughs> His intentional relationship with sinners. They just couldn't believe it. Why would you hang out with people who don't love God? Why would you hang out with people who live that lifestyle? Why would you rub shoulders with them if you were the son of God? And they questioned that. They hated the fact so much. They hated this fact so much that they even called Jesus a friend of sinners. They thought that was a bad thing. They're like, oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Like that was going to get to him. He's like, oh, I am, I am. And I hope today, I hope that your, our community, I hope that your family, I hope my, my family would say, Pastor Jerry is a friend to sinners. And maybe they'll say that like trying to be 
dogging me, but that's the greatest compliment you could ever give me. It's the greatest compliment that you could be given. That moment where they're like, hey, he's a friend to a sinner. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 starts off like this. And it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Who's him? Jesus. And he was drawn to him. You see, the religious people, you know, the brother who stayed home, <laughs> that's the religious people. Those were the Pharisees. In the story that we read to you today, from the perspective of the son, the perspective of the father, the perspective of the brother who stayed home, the Pharisees was the brother who stayed home. You see, the guys who thought, I followed all the rules. I, I've stayed home. I've done it right. Why? Why are you a friend to him? You should befriend me. You should be my best friend. You should be coming home to my house. We should be hanging out together. We should be playing cornhole together. We should be going to the movies together. We should be doing barbecue together. They just didn't understand. And the Pharisees in verse 2 says, And the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus tells the story, I don't remember, uh, he tells a story that a lost son represented the lost children of Israel. The father represented God. The brother represented the Pharisees and the scribes. And both brothers today were lost. See, we don't ever see it that way. We always see the brother who returned home was lost. No, 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 no. You see, the, the youngest brother was lost in his reckless living. And the oldest brother was lost in his self-righteousness. The brother who stayed home and supposedly followed all the rules was so self-righteous that he got caught up in that and he was a sinner. The sad thing is that the, that the self-righteous leaders did not get it. You see, Jesus tells them the story and they didn't even get it because we find in Luke chapter 19, four chapters later, there was this man called Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree so the Lord he could see. You remember the story? You guys look at me like you don't know it. All right, so Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree, and I remember in the story, Jesus says, come down. I'm going to your house. And there was this powerful statement that was said because all of a sudden when Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus to his home, all the religious leaders complained again, yet again, and said this, there he goes with a, to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. They didn't get it. They didn't get it the first time around with the prodigal son, the, the sheep, the, the lost coin. And, and again, Jesus makes this statement. The Bible makes this statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the purpose. Would you stand today? I don't know where you're at today. You're just like, you know what, Pastor Jerry? Um, the first time that you preached the message about the per son's perspective, I felt like that son. I had been in a faraway country and I was coming home and I wanted to come home. And some of you did that day. Some of you last week, you said, you know what? When I heard that the perspective of the father, my heart broke because I could not imagine that my father's heart broke because I left. I could not imagine him getting up every day expecting my return. I couldn't imagine my father being so patient with me that he would wait every day for my return. I couldn't imagine that my father loved me so much that he would drop everything when I did come back. And I couldn't imagine my God loving me so much that he would put a ring on my finger because I was always his boy. 
Thank always you so much for tuning in. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find our service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumsa.com, for more information. And thank you again. And until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.